welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Okay, well, we're in our uh, third week of our series that we've been in here for the summer that we're calling Tell the Story. Uh, And throughout this series, we've been looking at the variety of ways that our life together as disciples of Jesus, as a local community, as a local church, uh, help us tell the story of redemption uh, through Jesus the Messiah. And we've been, uh, so far in the series, we're looking at uh, telling the story through baptism. Last week, uh, we looked at uh, sharing the story through worship. And this week, we're looking at how we tell the story in our conversations with one another. And our passage this morning is in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 26. And so if you would turn there with me in your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot. And stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip, beginning with that very passage of scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we ask that you would uh, mobilize us as your people, that we might be conduits of your message to one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've been going to church all my life. Uh, I've been reading and studying about church, you know, pretty seriously for almost the last 30 years. And for much of that time, there is a kind of a consistent narrative that surrounds 
this thing that we do on Sunday mornings, the gathering that we have here. And, and it usually is, goes something like this. You, you just can't really connect with people on a Sunday morning. You can't go deep with people. Uh, most of the conversation is just a series of quick, kind of surfacey sort of two-minute conversations about nothing. It's all smiley. It's all fake. It's not really meaningful, the conversations that you get into. Some version of that. And it's easy to see why some people would think that, of course, because on, you know, just a quick glance, Sunday morning can feel that way. There is a lot of, hey there, how's it going? Hey, looking good today. Wow, look, you look nice. So what are you going to do for the rest of the day? That kind of stuff going on. Frankly, it's a lot of the typical one-liners that comedians love to make fun of. And if you stand outside and just kind of observe it happen, it's actually, well, it can seem almost ridiculous, the kinds of things that we say and do as we, on a Sunday morning, greet one another. And, you know, maybe to some degree they are. And so conversations on Sunday morning can be an easy target, really, for sarcasm and critique and analysis by those who, you know, spend a lot of time thinking and talking about these things. And, you know, to be honest, a lot of ways I could find myself joining in in that sarcasm and analysis and critique. But then came... March 15th, 2020. And overnight, we stopped getting together on Sunday morning. For months, we went without getting together on Sunday mornings. The churches all around the world, in the space of a week, we had to figure out how to do this thing that we do on Sunday mornings online. And so we live-streamed our worship. We figured out how to do the offering digitally pretty quickly. Uh, us preachers, we learned how to talk to the camera, which, you know, to some degree was kind of nice because we couldn't see you falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we figured out how to do the programmatic elements of church pretty quickly and pretty well. The one thing we weren't able to digitize or virtualize were those quick, surfacy, two-minute, polite conversations about nothing. And over the months that we went by without meeting, I don't know about you, but I found out just how much those interactions meant to me. Because while it is, might be true that not a lot can happen in a single two-minute, surfacy, polite conversation, you string together a series of those week after week over the course of a few months, over the course of a few years. And you actually piece, to, piece together someone's story. You actually become a part of one another's lives. And in addition to that, of course, the fact uh, it is actually misleading to say that all interactions on a Sunday morning are simply polite, surfacy, two-minute conversations about nothing. Because as we become part of one another's lives and what that means, and well, 
we are there for that time when we ask the surfaces, hey, so how's it going? And the answer isn't a surfacey 30-second response. And the COVID lockdown taught me how important, really how essential the interactions that we have with one another on Sunday morning are. Not just for our social life, but really for our life with Jesus and our experience of the eternal kind of life in his kingdom. Because in our conversations with one another, we have the opportunity to speak the words of God to each other. We have the opportunity to remind each other of the story of God, not just the, you know, the one in the Bible, the static one, but the story that God is writing in our lives, in the particular details of our lives. And we have the chance to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel to each other, which might sound weird, right? I mean, if you've been around church for any number of years or time, uh, the, 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 usually we reserve the idea of proclaiming the gospel for, you know, the people that don't go to church, right? That's, that's the thing you do to outsiders. But while, it is, of course, it is definitely true that the world outside needs to hear that God is at work, working out his plan to save the world and put everything right, it is really important for us to remember that the good news of God's love and what he's doing and the availability of life in his kingdom isn't just something that we talk about to get people in. It's actually the lifeblood, the ongoing foundation for our life with God. It's the very lifeblood of our faith. And those of us here in church every Sunday need to be reminded of those foundational truths of the gospel because they are the fuel for our everyday life in the reality of the kingdom of God. We live in a world that is constantly presenting us with alternative versions of how the world really works and what the big picture really is and where we should put our hope and the ultimate direction of you know, where things are trending. And so we desperately need to be regularly reminded of the bigger story of the gospel, how God is working, not just in general terms, but specifically regarding our specific day-to-day -day situations. You see, the great stereotype of people that go to church is that they all have their life all together. Like, you know, you look around and the idea is, well, everybody's just so happy and they're all, look at them with all their perfect lives, right? Their perfect marriages, their perfect jobs, their perfect backyards. <laughs> Make me sick. But for any of us that actually know church people, 
We know that's not true. I don't know that many church people who walk around with perfect lives. I don't even know that many church people that walk around thinking that their life is perfect. I mean, I do know some, but for the most part, the people I know that come to church, I mean, most weeks you are dragging yourselves here, barely making it through the door. Most of the people I know are confused and tired and weighed down by the troubles and stresses and wounds and regrets of a world that is in full-blown rebellion to God. That's what at least the church people that I know are like. Over the last few months here, Mike's been repeating this line. It's kind of a new mantra he's trying to start. Um, It'll say something to the extent of it could be that the most important thing you hear from God today doesn't come from this platform, but from the person standing next to you. Guys, have you guys heard him say that, you know, over the last few months? Which, if that is true, which I actually believe it is true, It also means that it could be that the most important thing that the person next to you hears today doesn't come from this platform, but it comes from you. It could be that the most important thing that somebody in this room hears today doesn't come from me, but it comes from you. Just kind of soak that in for a second. What are the implications of that? Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.19. He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, he says, the message of reconciliation. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Or again, in Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Or in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And really, we could go on and on looking at how the New Testament encourages us as followers of Christ, as church people, to talk to one another. And at the core of it is always the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I I know that most of us believe this and the importance of actively, you know, speaking the story of God into each other's lives. But when it comes down to this, as, you know, Dana was kind of sharing this morning, she was kind of speaking for all of us. It turns out, really, that the idea of proclaiming the gospel to our fellow churchgoers is almost as intimidating as proclaiming the gospel to someone outside the church. Because, you know, most of us, we are perpetually trying to not say the wrong thing. Have you felt that? Like, we just really, really want to not say the wrong thing. There's a, in our culture, we really do place a huge emphasis on not saying the wrong thing. Which, by the way, is a really good thing. 
It's a virtue of our culture, right? Uh, our words matter and have incredible power to injure, to alienate, to hurt. Uh, we live in a diverse culture where we cannot just simply assume that the people that we're speaking to know what we mean when we say the words that we say. And so it is a good thing for us to be careful and be thoughtful about the words that we use. Of course, the downside of this emphasis is that sometimes the fact that our words also have the power to heal and encourage and strengthen and unite, well, that actually gets forgotten. And so an overemphasis on never saying the wrong thing can cause us to default to never saying anything. And when we allow that to become the norm, well then yes, our interactions, even here at church, do become surfacy and meaningless and, well, essentially lifeless. And so somewhere we have to find the happy medium between, you know, saying the wrong thing and just, I'm just blurt it out. I'm just going to say it how it is. And not saying anything to being, as Paul said, well, the ambassadors of Christ's ministry, of the message of Christ. And to be able to spur each other on to love and good works. And so the story here of Philip and the Ethiopian that we read earlier in Acts chapter 8, it's just a great example of how to do that. Again, this passage, uh, normally, when I've spoken about this passage and I've heard it in other contexts, no, this is a prime passage that gets used to train us into how to speak to folks outside the context of the church. This is how to speak to non-believers, if you will. But all the principles that we see in this passage apply to the people that we are sitting around this morning as well. So, uh, in the time that I have remaining uh, this morning, I want to outline a few of the principles that are in this passage, kind of just march through the passage, that really, I think, are just really good, helpful things to remember and training ourselves to effectively tell the story of God in our conversations with one another. And the first thing that we see in this passage, of course, is to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. It starts there. When you read this story, you glance over it, you see that Philip's entire experience begins with paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is telling him. Story starts with the Spirit telling Philip to say, go to the desert road. So he goes to the desert road, which doesn't mean that it was deserted. It just means that it was in the desert. It's most likely actually one of the main thoroughfares to get from Jerusalem to the coast. Uh, so undoubtedly, there's a number of different travelers that are trafficking this, this road at the time. So Philip obeys, goes down to the desert road. Uh, the spirit singles out the chariot with the Ethiopian guy on it. And he says, go to that chariot. And 
Philip goes to that chariot. And I believe that what is unique about Philip's experience here in chapter 8 isn't that the Holy Spirit was directing him on where to go and to whom to speak. The unique part of the story is that Philip was paying attention. And he actually listened. And he actually followed the Holy Spirit's direction. And this is something that we forget sometimes when we come to church. We forget to be attentive to the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our interactions with one another. I mean, sure, maybe we come prepared to learn something from the preacher. Maybe we come prepared to focus our attention and our body in worship. Maybe we come prepared to give in the offering. But it can be easy to forget to come prepared to minister to the people around us, to come prepared to be a conduit of God's love and power and his word to the people that we are sitting next to. Because it can be overwhelming, right? I mean, just take a moment and just scan the crowd here. And there's a lot of people. Some of them we know, some of them we don't know, Someone we kind of know, but can't quite remember their name. And so it would be really awkward if I walk up and I'm like, hey, so I know I've met you a bunch of times, but and we don't know really what's going on with people. And so the service ends and we kind of stand up and we look around at the sea of faces and it's just really tempting to go, I think I'm just going to go home now. But what if we didn't? I mean, what if instead of just bolting to the car, we took a moment and we asked the Holy Spirit, is there someone here that you want me to talk to this morning? Maybe he'll point out a face or a name or just bring, bring someone to your thoughts. Maybe he'll direct you to a certain part of the room or the lobby. Maybe he won't say anything. Maybe what he'll say is, well, you really need to go get your kids out of children's ministry right now. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. I, I, I just want us to think about this idea that the Holy Spirit actually wants to use you to do his work in somebody's life in this room this morning. Just as much as he wants to use the people that stand up on this stage. And so just as much as I need to sit in my office and ask the Holy Spirit to show me what I need to say when I'm standing up here. We all need to be asking him the same question as we are coming to church. Who do you want me to connect with? What do you want me to say? I mean, imagine what our conversations after church, or heaven forbid, before church, uh, would be like if we were attentive to what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in each other's lives. The next thing that we see Philip doing in this, in this passage is he listens to the Ethiopian. Philip runs up to the chariot with the Ethiopian in it, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet in verse 30, says there. The idea of listening to someone first, you know, can sound counterintuitive, 
in a message like this one where we're talking about telling the story in our conversations. Like we hear a message like this when we figure we're supposed to talk. Fine, you want me to talk? I'm going to go talk. Talk, 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 talk. Hey, I'm going to talk. And we jump in with whatever preconceived message that we think we're supposed to deliver. I mean, we've all had that happen to us, right? Some well-meaning person, heaven bent, <laughs> see what I did there? On encouraging us or motivating us or even correcting us in some way. And they come with some pre-planned message or line of some kind and just Bleh! Because that's what they're sure that we need to hear. And it's, of course, it's not something that has been done to us. I know it's something I've done to others, and I'm going to take a wild guess that you've done it too. And believe it or not, this is especially a danger when we've been making the effort to pay attention to the Holy Spirit because, you know, we actually do and we actually get some word from God that we need to share with someone. And so we're just so excited with the idea. We just run up to him and go, yeah, this is what God thinks you need to hear today. And in those cases, even if it's the right thing to say, without listening first, we don't have the context to make sense of the word to the people that we're saying it to. Next thing we see Philip doing here is he asks a question. Verse 30 goes on. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? Really asking questions just kind of part two of listening, right? Any of you have taken any kind of active listening sort of clinics, uh, you know that the asking of the questions, it's essential for understanding where the person is at. And assuming you know where the person's at or what they're thinking, it's just, it's just really, really dangerous. Thinking that I am, I know what you're thinking better than what you know what you're thinking. Asking questions not only helps me understand where you are at, it actually helps you understand where you are at. So it helps create this bridge of understanding between us so that both parties are on the same page. In addition, asking questions before you speak, it communicates compassion, interest. It allows you to slow down before you just kind of spew forth supposed wisdom from God that, you know, people necessarily might not want to hear. And then, finally, after Philip's attentive to the Holy Spirit, listens to the opening, asks a good clarifying question, then, finally, he spoke. But notice that when he spoke, he started from where the Ethiopian guy was. Verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And admittedly, this can be a daunting idea. Figuring out how to tell God's story starting from wherever a person happens to be. I'll be honest, there have been times when I've done like the first three steps really well uh, and 
gotten somewhat of an understanding where a person of that is, is at and had absolutely no clue how to connect where they're at with the story of God. But here's where we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is actually involved. That he will, as Jesus promised, give us the words that we need when we need them, even if the word that we need is no word. And frankly, here also is where practice helps. You see, the more we practice asking the question, how does the gospel of the kingdom of God apply to a particular situation? the better we get at drawing the connections and helping one another see them and helping one another find how this situation that I am in connects to what God is doing, not just way back in the Bible, but what God is doing all throughout history. And really, here's where we as a community can help one another, right? So we're talking about this today, so, you know, Kind of figure, at the end of the message, there's going to be one of these, hey, so go do this. And so we're going to be doing this. And some people are actually going to go, okay, so I better try this. And so the way we can help one another as a community is that we can just agree right now that we're going to be gracious with each other. Right? Everybody here is scared of saying the wrong thing. So maybe if we just agree to make a contract with each other, we're going to be gracious. So that when I'm listening to you tell me about a situation that you're in, and I take the risk to try to bring up the story of God and how it might relate to your situation, and in that process, I say something dumb, which I will. Something that sounds too churchy, which I will. Can we just agree maybe that you won't hold that against me? And that instead maybe you'll just kind of go, oh, well, he's trying. <laughs> hey, way to go. Nice, nice, nice try there. Because then there's this freedom to practice. And we might actually get good at it. We might actually get good at ministering to one another. There was this time uh, some years ago, there were rough days uh, for me, for us as a family. We were processing through a whole bunch of different things. And uh, Carol and I were actually in this season of discerning where God was leading us next in our ministry. The kids were young. And, and we were on this road trip. Taking this road trip, that we really designed this road trip as a kind of kind of seeking God's direction sort of road trip. Um, and it hadn't been going well. <laughs> uh, on one of our stops, we were at this the hotel, and one of our kids threw up in the middle of the night. Uh, and then we go down to the lobby, and it's a cheap motel. And we said, hey, the kids threw up. Do you have any clean sheets? And they said, no. <laughs> so we had to spend the rest of the night in a bed with throw up in it. Um, and apparently it was some sort of bug because the next day on another road trip, Carolyn gets sick 
and the other one of the other kids gets sick, and so then we get to the next hotel, and it's some, you know, if you ever driven through L.A., you know, sometimes you drive through L.A., and it's just, just, just some awful, like, industrial, like, like really depressing parts of L.A., and we pulled off on one of those exits, and we stayed at some hotel and some industrial part of Anaheim, and, and we get this room, and it's this cheap motel. You know the ones with the comforter covers are really, really stiff and shiny, and the beds are really, really, really hard, and it's just... And Carolyn's like, she's sick, and the other kid is sick, and I'm almost sick, and the other two kids are young, and they're bouncing off the walls, and we've been on a road trip, and it was just not a good day. And so uh, I had to get the kids out of there, so I get them out, and across the parking lot, there's this McDonald's. And so I had a play place, and so just, okay, just go and just get the kids. So we go out. It's an outdoor play place. If you've ever been to an outdoor play place in Los Angeles, these are the dirtiest things on the face of the planet. Like, it's just, because there's dust, and it's just, you know, just, I'm really trying to set the, this is like a dystopian moment in my life. Um, so I went and goes, sit there, and I put the kids in, they start playing, and I sit down on the dirty outside McDonald's tables, and to just kind of sit there and contemplate the futility of my life. And I'm not being that dramatic. And there's this other dad there, and his kids are there, and so we start talking, and just chat, and going whatever, and Somewhere in the middle of the conversation, the guy says to me, you're a pastor, aren't you? And trust me, there's like, I'm not in pastor mode <laughs> at this point in my life. And then I said, yeah. And he kind of got this little smile and said, I knew it. And he was so excited. It's like, well, it's kind of like he'd been practicing some of this stuff. Like, been practicing and Somehow the Holy Spirit had told him that I was a pastor on my last leg. And he took the risk to ask, and he'd kind of gotten it right. So he just kind of got that giddy little look on his face. And I'll tell you, where I was at that day, I needed something. I was desperate for a word, anything from God. And there was something about this guy asking me if I was a pastor. I just snuck down behind all the questions, all the fear, all the disappointments, and reminded me that God was still at work. I don't remember what else the guy said. To be honest, the guy was a little weird. I just got to be honest. And, but I didn't care because I'm that, I mean, I'm, I'm this desperate. I hung on every word he said, and every word he said was like water to my soul. This guy, like, he, I'm almost convinced he's an angel at this point. And so... We've been there for a while. The kids are winding down, so we're getting ready to go. And he says, hey, can, can we pray together? And I'm like, you know, at this point, the guy could have served communion, and I would have taken it from him. And so I said, sure. And so, it's, so there I am. It's like outdoor McDonald's play place, and it's me and the, the two of my kids and two of his kids. And this guy, we're in a circle holding hands outside. And, um, and we're praying. It's the weirdest thing. But I'll tell you, I met Jesus that day. I got saved again that day. I heard God say, I'm not done with you yet again that day. And I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that our gatherings here every week can be 
like that. We could be angels. We could be messengers of God to each other. We could be breathing the life of the gospel into one another every week. You just have to step into it. You have to be willing to take a few risks, be attentive to the Holy Spirit, be willing to risk saying the wrong thing just to maybe be the voice of God to someone who needs it. Would you pray with me, please? So God, we, uh, we thank you for your spirit that is in this room, and that is working in us and through us. And God, we desperately want to be there for each other. We want to lift each other up. Life is really, really hard. And there are a lot of really tough things going on. And we know that every single one of us here needs to hear something from you. And it'd be great if it came through us. It'd be great if it came to us. And so we place ourselves before you as your tools, as your instruments of encouragement and hope for one another. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you speak to us? Would you direct us uh, in ways that lift one another up? In Jesus' name, amen.